This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app where fun is fast. Welcome. Welcome to another episode of the GTCC. We're going well here, G, aren't we? We haven't been shut down. We haven't broken any rules or regulations with our new club. Yeah, well, to be honest, Tom, it feels like uh, chairman should be on top of all his rules and regs. It worries me that you've said that, to be honest. Yeah, but a chairman is more of like a helicopter view. I'm not getting involved with the nuts and bolts. I think this sort of thing is more club secretary. And I've got total faith in our interim club secretary, Louise. So there's something else that I've done this week. I've been thinking about snacks. Like when we do our club rides on Zwift and when I race you up that mountain near yours on a state-of-the-art bike and you're on some antique thing with court brakes, right? What should I be eating then? Anything I can get my hands on? Yeah, I think so. I, I don't think we need to be too, um, you know, scientific and stuff and have specific sort of sports brand stuff, although that would obviously help and be a lot more beneficial. But, you know, I think we should mix it up, have a bit of that. And then also, you know, seeing if we're going to be in France, maybe a pan au or maybe some homemade Welsh cakes. Open to all, I think. Did you sort of cross over that, you know, that old era of cycling where you'd come down for breakfast as a pro rider and there'd be a massive plate of spaghetti at the, <laughs> the breakfast table <laughs> with no sauce. Did you, did you just cross over into that era? Yeah, we still have that now, to be honest. Pasta for breakfast, that is a hard ask. Yeah, pasta, rice. Yeah, it's all exciting stuff on, on tour, mate. But I think we should do a whole episode about uh, food. Yeah, good shout. I think that's for a later day. So put that down, Mr. Chairman. I'll stick it on the list. Right, so I've got to confess, it's me who's chosen this episode's subject. Garrett, I know you don't really want to talk about crashes, but everyone's fascinated by them. I'm sorry, we're going to go with some old stories. But look, you're not the only person who crashes. Everyone who rides a bike crashes, don't they? Yeah, thanks for that, mate. Well, I've had a few recently too, with uh, dislocating my shoulder in training right down here in south of France, and then the Giro water bottle. So I'm not the biggest fan of talking about crashes. I think I keep saying I'm not superstitious, but it's one of those things. I'm like, the more more I feel I talk about it, the more I feel like I'm just asking for the next one to be just around the corner. So yeah, thanks for that, Tom. I'm gonna if anything does happen. <laughs> I'll be. It's my eyes. My it's fault. It's your now, fault. Is it? Yeah, I'll be right on the phone to you. But um, yeah, crashes. I guess you know. I've said it before. It's like it's like playing cricket. You know, you're always as a batsman, you're always going to lose your wicket, and as a bike rider, professional bike rider, you're always going to crash. It's part of the sport, really. There's something about crashes, right? If you think about crashes, and you think about crashing while you're on your bike, it always seems amazing that you're just not crashing all the time. I think. Let's say you're doing a descent. And you're on this, oh, you know, albeit a nice bike, and you look down and you see whatever the width your front tire is, whether it's 23 mil or 25 mil, 27 mil, you look down and it suddenly seems like a ludicrous bit of physics that you're staying up, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, and it's not like MotoGP or Formula One, you're on a big closed racing circuit, you know, all the corners, you know, generally if it's going to be slippery or not, you know, on the open road, you're not, you don't know what's around the corner, you know, it could be a, a random sheep or a horse or dog you know it could be a broken down car it could be if it's in a race it could be someone's crashed and there's a few cars parked behind and on a racing line like Froomey when he had his big accident it was just in a recon so it wasn't in the race he was he was riding the course before the time trial and gust of wind it was a strong gust of wind obviously caught him and ended up crashing into the wall of a house and you know did some real damage but luckily he's recovered and he's back racing and things but it just shows it's just like freak so much so much danger out there really but then at the same time you, you just can't think about that if you did start thinking about that you wouldn't be able to well you wouldn't race would you you, you wouldn't be able to do your job we'll talk about big crashes i think today and we'll, we'll talk about how you survive them how you can try and crash well if that makes sense but there's there's also those sort of crashes where like you're doing about two miles an hour and nothing seems to have have been dangerous at all and you end up in a lot of pain what's the What's the most innocuous way of hurting yourself? Is it the one where you just have to stop suddenly and one part of your body hits the stem of your bike with a little... Oh, or your balls? Your ba- <laughs> Is that what you're talking yeah, about? When, <laughs> when you slam your balls into the stem of your bike. <laughs> to be honest, I haven't done that for a long time. I think I was 
you know, in my teens the last time I did that, fortunately. Yours are all biggies, aren't they? You don't mess around with these little with a little abrasion on the balls. <laughs> I got big balls. Have you? What are you saying about my balls? <laughs> that your crashes are big. No, I don't know. I've got no <laughs> idea what size your testicles are. <laughs> Recently they've been quite big, I guess. But yeah, just sometimes the, the innocuous sort of really s- slow crashes are the, can be the worst. You know, a really good friend of mine, Ben Swift, he was in LA, like, and he was just rolling along the pavement. I went to, and his front wheel dropped off the curb. I think he was looking behind, talking to someone or something. Fell on over the bars, landed on his shoulder. I think he had to have like two operations on his shoulder in the end. You know, so it's just. Uh, the slow ones, sometimes you can land really awkwardly because you've got time to think about it almost. The fast ones, you kind of, you're on the deck and you're just sliding and rolling or whatever before you know it. So the ones, they're probably the best because you don't have that real fear of like, holy crap, I'm about to crash here. This is going to really hurt. Then there are those sort of weird semi-miraculous ones, aren't they? Where you're absolutely convinced you're going to crash and something happens and you stay up and you're like, whoa, I thought I was dead <laughs> and I'm still going. Yeah, that certainly happened to me a few times. Uh, I've lost both my hands off the bars and then managed to save it somehow with my chest sort of balancing on my handlebars. Which, Whoa. And once you come back from that, it, there's no better feeling. That's better than winning the tour, seriously. Like, <laughs> when you're surfing on your handlebars going downhill like, and there's just a drop-off on either... Yeah, don't even think about that. But yeah, I did some research talking about that, actually. I put a, a, a tweet out for this podcast about people with their near misses but looking at my feed to be honest there's a lot of bruises a lot of cuts broken bones uh they don't sound like near misses to me to be honest you did also get a comment from luke rowe suggesting that um you didn't need much help with research on crashes the thing is right i got this bad reputation for crashing and and i think earlier in my career i definitely uh maybe rode in the danger zone too much and but now recently i think especially when you become one of like the the favourites for like a Grand Tour, for instance, and you crash, obviously people talk about it. But, you know, if I was just, you know, back in 2008, 2009, if I had crashed in the Giro and gone home, nobody would know, nobody would care, you know. But when you're one of the favourites, suddenly the spotlight's on you a lot more. And yeah, and I seem to have that reputation now, but yeah, whatever. It, it doesn't like, it sounds like I get really irritated now, doesn't it? But it's just, uh, it's one of those things. You spent a lot of time down the years being coached by Rod Ellingworth, who was the head of the um, the GB Olympic program, as a man who's played a, a big part in your life. Didn't he once tell you to start, take your Superman cape off? Was it Superman cape? Or was it a Batman cape? He told you to take off on descents. Yeah, Superman. Yeah. So basically, like I was saying, when I was young and and sort of keen and eager, I just used to take a few, just try to go around corners a lot quicker than you could physically do it. Basically, and and, and then sometimes you just. He's basically telling me, like, you're not invincible, just, you know, keep a cool head and sort of try to sort of take the risks at the right time, basically. But, um, yeah, that's one thing that's always sort of stuck with me. All right, people, Sidemen here to tell you about an epic podcast that you need in your life right now. Here's how it goes. We all know 2020 was an awful year. This is the worst crisis for a generation. But thankfully, one man, oh, and me, had a plan to end it on a high. Do you want to be good or do you want to be great? That's Rick Lewis, one of Britain's most influential businessmen. Yes, I'm intelligent. I teamed up with a millionaire in 2020. And this was the plan. Pay attention. For 12 weeks, Rick Lewis was the mentor. The only person stopping you is usually you. No one is playing man-to-man defense on you in your life. We gave three young people an hour a week and access to £5,000 each to make a difference to their lives. I just want to set a realistic goal and just look towards a better like 2021 because 2020, oh my days, this year has been messy. So that's The Mentor, 12 weeks, £5,000 and Rick Lewis. I'm sure you want to find out what happens and you want to hear more of that silky smooth American accent and who doesn't want free advice from a millionaire. Go and search The Mentor in all your usual podcast places. Trust me, you'd be stupid not to. See ya! Gee, I've got good news. We've got another sponsor. Our friends at Amp Human are on board. Now, they're a human performance company dedicated to helping athletes at all levels achieve their potential. So even amateurs like me. Amp's flagship product, PR Lotion, is the world's first and only lotion to deliver the natural electrolyte bicarb to the body. Now, I know this sounds a bit fancy, but you've been using this PR Lotion 
for the last two years, haven't you? What's it like? Yeah, I like it. It's obviously, I use it for any hard session, really, on Zwift, uh, in time trials as well. You just lather up in it, basically, whichever muscles you're using. Yeah, and it just gives you that bit of a buffer, and it, I definitely feel it sort of helps me. Well, there's also 40 years of data showing bicarb's ability to buffer acid as it builds up in muscle during exercise. Studies show a 50% reduction in muscle soreness when using PR lotion. And even better... Amp Human is giving our listeners 25% off their next purchase using the code GTCC and then the number 25. Just visit amphuman.com forward slash GTCC and start training with your PR lotion today. Right, let's start with the pro world, Geraint. When there's a massive crash in the bunch and like 20, 30 riders are going down and there's bikes going everywhere, if you're in the middle of that, what do you hear? What do you notice first? For normally some sort of shout or yelp because something's happened. And then it's just the the metal on tarmac and, you know, carbon and squeaking brakes and maybe tires blowing out or um, just chaos. It's just like if there's barriers on the side of the road, you hear the barriers sort of moving and it's, it's horrible. But at the same time, if you are just listening to it, you're not actually involved in it. It is actually a really nice feeling. You're like, oh man, I'm so glad I'm not in that. But obviously, obviously you're concerned that, you know, you hope everyone's all right, but the relief of not being in it is also massive. Do you get some amazing levels of swearing in eight different languages? <laughs> I think everyone reverts to sort of a lot of English, actually, when it comes to crashing. I don't know. I think a lot of guys, even foreign guys now, especially in our team, when they're so used to speaking English, well, Pals, for instance, he's from the Netherlands, but he would swear all the time in, in English, even like, you know, spontaneously like that without thinking. And if a crash is happening in front of you, let's say you are, there's nothing you can do about it at all. A crash happens to you. What's the thought in your mind? Is there time for a single thought to go through your head? Is it just a shit? Yeah, it's kind of, you know how people say it's almost like it slows down. It goes through slow motion. It is really like that. Like, I don't know if people listening to this, you know, crash their bikes or their car or something. And it is, it's just that split second where it just seems like so many things come through your head. For instance, like when I crashed once, uh, like my back wheel just slid out on the top of some climb in the tour, it hit a bit of a greasy spot. And I remember thinking, oh, if I just let this go now, I can hit this car or I can try and save it, go through that gap. But then there's a big drop. And you kind of, you just go for the car because you're like, well, I don't know what's down that drop. And you end up just hitting the car and you crash there rather than going straight. So yeah, I think it, all, all this goes through in like less than a second, you know, you don't, you don't think that you act, that you think about it or you've got time to think about it, but you actually do think about it. There's a lot of thinking going on there, but you know what I mean? <laughs> I think, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's horrible. Like that thought of just, there's some crashes when you're like, oh no, this is, this is really going to hurt. But if there's a big pileup, Generally, you could be okay as long as you're not the first to go down. <laughs> Big cycling pylon. Yeah, in a kind of, I don't know if it's a bad thing, but you do actually look for a body to sort of land on sometimes. Oh, like a nice a nice big sprinter or a domestique. You don't want to landing on a little skinny climber. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But you'd still take a little climber over, you know, <laughs> some sort of bike or bike chain ring or something. Or it's, So, um, you know, all these like little things kind of go through your head, yeah. One of your roles on this uh, podcast, on the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club G, is to bring our guests along. Who have you got for us today? So, Tom, yeah, I think I've delivered some pretty impressive guests so far in the first three episodes. I think I've taken my job very seriously, unlike uh, you as chairman. But there we go. We can't all be perfect. But, uh, yeah, today I think I've probably delivered the best yet. Maybe the best of the series. I know it's a big call on episode four. But, yeah, it's my wife. Sarah Thomas. Ah. No pressure there following uh, Sir Paul Smith. What a, going to be a bit of a come down for the listeners, I think. <laughs> Starting from the back foot already. Ordinarily, I'd say it was a bit Trumpy, like filling out key appointments in the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club with your own family members. <laughs> <laughs> but, but bearing in mind it's Sarah. So, Sarah, you, you see a totally different side of crashes to Garrett, don't you? I, I know the worst thing is to crash, but if the worst thing is to crash, then surely like, a really close second is being the partner of the person who's doing the crashing. Yeah, exactly. Especially because you've got like no control over it whatsoever. So you just see it and you don't 
I don't want to experience it, but when you do experience it, you kind of know how painful it is, like how bad it is. Whereas when you're on the sideline, you've got no idea whatsoever. And that's probably one of the hardest parts about it because they just kind of carry on as well. So like in a football match, if you're injured, the whole thing stops and, you know, they kind of get you back on your feet. And, and then they carry on recycling and they just like you're off and then everyone else keeps going and you just have no idea what's happened. You say watching them though, do you, you don't watch? No, I don't race. watch. No. So, so when I see it later on the highlights, <laughs> <laughs> having, no, I mean, I, yeah, I don't tend to watch just because mainly because of the crashes really. I don't like seeing it. I'm not a very good watcher. It makes me very nervous. So how did you find out that the last big crash is quite hard with these crashes because there are unfortunately quite a few that we could talk about. But the, <laughs> the last the last biggie, the what we might call the Giro Bidon, how did you find out about that one? We're, well, just on Twitter because I knew it was a big day that day. I just only use Twitter for just the updates really. And so um, I was like, oh, I'll just check. I know it's a big day. I think it's just started. I'll see what's happened. And then I was like, oh, the race has been stopped. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And then I was like, oh, yeah, this guy right, he's crashed in the neutral zone. So um, I was thinking, oh, neutral zone, it can't be that bad. Like, they're not going very fast. But then I was thinking, why would they stop the race if it wasn't that bad? So I'm good friends with Marco. Geraint's kind of main swanee. So I just texted him saying, I've seen Geraint's crashed in the neutral zone. Is he okay? And then they said, oh, actually, no, he's in quite a bit of pain. So I was thinking, oh, God, why today? That's the thing with uh, getting updates from random people on the road, though, and it? It's like Chinese whispers. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, he's, he's hurt his elbow. And then somebody else, yeah, it's done something to his knee. Yeah. But it's your pelvis, you know? So, but yeah, it's just... Well, they said that you hadn't been back to the team car to see the doctor, which was a good sign. Yeah, I think I mentioned this before, though. It was all a bluff, you know. I didn't want to go back to the team doctor because I wanted to just make out as if I was fine. So I sent some of the boys back just to get me a couple of paracetamol or whatever and just sort of, like, you know, relaying what how I was feeling and that. And I knew it wasn't great. Yeah, that was all a bluff that didn't really work out in the end anyway, so... Well, you bluffed us. We thought you were going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I was saying as well about, like, not being in control and, like, being more tense... I always thought that was a load of rubbish. I was like, what are you on about? Like, it's a lot worse crashing than, you know, being worried about someone who's crashed. But then I think the first time I watched the Olympics, the, the team pursuit, obviously I raced in 2008 to 2012 with Ed Clancy. And then he was in it again in 2016, going for his third Olympic gold. And I was actually properly nervous, like more nervous than when I was racing with him, you know? And I think that's when I suddenly realized oh, actually, yeah, it is worse watching than, uh, than actually competing. Yeah, but imagine if Ed was me as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't. Do you get more nervous? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> there have been times, though, haven't there, where there's been epic days of racing for Geraint, and you've had to do something else. I remember you telling me about the the final time trial in the Tour de France in 2018, where basically, as long as G doesn't have a nightmare, he wins the tour. Were you watching Tenable? With Warwick Davis instead. But that was the day before. So it was the descent, the day where it was the like penultimate. It was the last road stage. Yeah. And it, yeah, was, and it was that descent, to the, descent finish. to the finish. And I was thinking, this is prime Geraint crash territory. <laughs> <laughs> He's winning the tour, but we've got the descent to the finish. And it was really foggy and I just couldn't, I couldn't watch it. So I was watching Tenable with my mum upstairs <laughs> with updates coming from everybody and um, Kath Rose so Luke Rose's wife was texting me she was not helpful <laughs> she just texted me saying shit and I was thinking oh right that's it it's done it's done it's over yeah and I was like oh my god what's happened she was like no nothing it's just really tense <laughs> I think what made it worse though as well on TV which I heard later was that Zacharin um, he's a Russian rider who's at the back of our group and he goes round the corner like it's a 50 pence piece you know he's not the smoothest guy to look at on a descent. And I think he was all over the place. And I think the commentators were, you know, getting really sort of exaggerated with that as well, which sort of added to the whole tenseness or whatever the word is of it, really. So do you ever wish you did a different job? Yeah, I do, I think. Um, it's just a weird one, isn't it? Because the highs when they come are so high, but then the lows are really, really low. 
and then it's just that yeah it's the the crashing I think is just it's you just it's so dangerous and I think you know, we've been through it a lot with you with the with the crashes and so far you think, thought you were a bad luck omen at one I point I thought I was bad luck omen because every time we used to go to a, a race he would crash so I just that's why I stopped watching because I was like it's me it's me he crashes every time um, so that's partly why I don't watch and I don't go to many races. But, but the year I won Paris-Nice, yeah. so I was, well, here in Monaco, yeah, with the mum and dad, and they were going to come and watch the finish, but then obviously they just thought, oh, they'll stay away. They just went to the local bar. and. Uh, but you also did tell me to stay away that, that year. Yeah, I did, yeah. Don't put this on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I always say I'm not superstitious, but I think I probably am then, because there's loads of little things you end up doing which you think uh, is going to help, but it obviously isn't, but you still find comfort in it, really. So have you given Geraint anything? Have you given her any lucky charms or anything like that? Yeah, I gave you a, uh, a wishbone charm that you've got in your Garmin. It was, uh, I gave it to you after you uh, crashed out of Paris-Roubaix, because we always do wishbone, don't we? So yeah, the, the wishbone at the back, we always do the, you know, your little finger and you just snap it yeah. and make a wish. So we always do that. And so, yeah, so I bought me that wishbone, which I put on my Garmin, my, my cycling computer after Roubaix. And then obviously the rest of that year was pretty good. Obviously won Dauphiné, which is the big lead up race to the Tour de France. And then obviously won the Tour, two stages there. So it seemed to work quite well. But then you kind of forget about the, the times it doesn't really work as well. So like Romandy, I had a pretty rubbish Not race. Absolute shocker. Yeah. Um, I had it there, but I didn't crash that year, but I don't know. You just kind of end up thinking, you just oh, don't yes. want to change in anything, even though some, like, I mean, it's not really worked since the tour, but it's still on there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just like, you just get comfort in using the same stuff, the same kit, um, just like with your shoes or whatever, or, you know, your kit, and then just go through the same process before every race as well. And Max has got you a charm now as well, hasn't he? Yeah. So I've got a little uh, baseball cap as well next to my wishbone on my bike. But I think Tim Kerrison, my coach, I don't think he's... He's very academic is probably a good way of putting it. And that's a good summary. And uh, so, yeah, he's a bit... He, you know, he looks at it and he's like, Who's, whose Garmin's this? Like, what's this on it? I was like, oh, it's mine. And you kind of give a brief explanation and he just like looks at you like you've got two heads. And he's kind of... Like, it's not very okay. aero. Yeah, it's not very aero. It's probably adding... Well, it is adding weight to your bike. So are you sure you want it? Like, <laughs> are you sure that's going to bring you luck? But... <laughs> so, yeah it'll be alright Tim yeah. are you worried so at all that your son Max when he grows up he's only one year old at the moment so he's a long way to go but if he grows up and he wants to follow his dad and I'm sure he'll ride a bike anyway how would you feel if he gets to the age of sort of 16, 17 and he's got a bit of his dad's ability and he says one day he says mum I quite fancy being a pro cyclist see I've been thinking about that and obviously you wouldn't want to stop him but I'd rather him do tennis to be honest <laughs> or golf <laughs> or golf I mean, he already he, he pushes your bike out every day now, doesn't he? Ready for your training. So I think he's might be that way inclined. Yeah, and this year with the G, well, last year with the Giro, we have a two-year-old niece, and um, she obviously doesn't understand the level which you've cycled to, but she understands you ride a bike, and she understood that you'd crashed, and she got quite upset about it. And she saw you, and she was a bit shy around you, wasn't she? And clearly quite upset and I was just thinking well when Max gets older you know and it's and he starts to understand you know he and he knows dad bike already so yeah um I don't think it's going to be too long until he you know kind of understands a bit more dad's crush yeah and, he, and I just <laughs> think that's going to add a whole another level to the to kind of the feelings of of when you crash like I have my disappointment but then I'm also probably going to have quite an upset toddler who kind of doesn't understand his dad's crashed and a bit hurt, but doesn't really understand the stuff that goes around it. And um, yeah, I think that's just going to add another level of uh, a feelings to the whole thing. It's going to be quite a difficult thing to probably try and explain to him when he gets a bit older and not one that I'm particularly looking forward to. No pressure then. Yeah, no pressure on not crashing anymore. Don't disappoint your son. <laughs> Don't just disappoint me. You're going to disappoint your son as well. Oh, and well, with Alice as well, our niece, they've, we had a little way of dealing with it. Yeah, she brought her little um, Peppa Pig doctor's case over to see you, didn't she? To, mm. to help Uncle Gare. And yeah, 
because yeah she just she she got it she knew you were hurt but she didn't quite understand how it happened but yeah here she arrived briefcase pepper pig case in hand stethoscope yeah <laughs> and you were good to go <laughs> so what's Geraint like in the aftermath of the crash because the, the g that i know you don't generally don't complain and you, you try and make light of stuff so you probably see the real g in those situations what so when he's come back from the giro whether it's 2020 or 2017 or the road race in rio in 2016 what do you see when he gets home um that one's really difficult actually because yeah there's not much you can say and that's probably the hardest part about it because you all know the situation you all know it's a bit rubbish and there is genuinely nothing you can do you just have to kind of let him be be disappointed because you know it was a massive massive disappointment and uh you know, it takes its toll, I think, as, you know, the crashes physically as well as mentally. You don't see the months of of work that, that go into it. Yeah, in the 24 hours after the, the Giro crash last year, it was really, really up and down. Because um, obviously we had the instant, you know, the crash happened and uh, we had that disappointment then when, you know, you did look hurt but then speaking to Marco and he said we don't think he's that bad we think it's his shoulder so he kind of on the up again thinking right all's not lost and then I actually I couldn't really find out what was happening so I turned on the tv then to see what was going on and then um, it's when I started seeing you fall back and I was thinking all right he's he's hurt now and that was kind of the biggest disappointment I think because that's when I realized yeah it was kind of it was done and that was probably the hardest one I've had to watch because I knew how much you'd put into it and just to see you keep trying, keep trying to come back and not give up when clearly you were in a lot of pain. That was probably the hardest one for me to watch. And then obviously I spoke to you after the race and you were understandably very disappointed. And it's the first time you've ever said to me, oh, I've hope, I hope I've broken something. And I was like... Phew. Yeah, because like the media aftermath was, um, yeah, I'd lost like to the GC guys, like the overall contenders, lost maybe eight, nine, ten minutes, something like that. So my race was pretty much over. So I was going straight to the the X-ray at the finish, and obviously spoke to Saad before I went. I was like, oh yeah, I hope something's broken because you just wanted to come home, didn't you? But yeah, but it also just proved like you know why I felt so bad as well, really. And then um, yeah, obviously went to the X-ray and. They said it was all fine. So then, you know, going back to the hotel in the in the team car, I was just like super down. Then just like, wow, I, I just don't want to be here. Really, like I come here to try to win the race. I don't want to just grovel around for three weeks. And it makes it kind of easier to leave if you've broken something. It takes that decision out of it, doesn't it, about whether or not to carry on? Yeah, and obviously a team leader as well. So you don't want to just like pack up your stuff and just get out of there. You you won't need to fight and carry on. So, but then. A few hours later, though, it's sort of you get your head rounded a bit, you talk yourself into it, and you get a bit more up for it, and you're kind of like, oh, actually, no, I'm, you know, I'm still here, I'm still in the race, I might as well go and yeah, we help the guys. Yeah, we a lot more positive, weren't we? Like, you still get a lot out of it. There's still stuff you can do. Yeah, but then the next day, obviously, went for the the MRI and the CT, and then suddenly the guy walks out, the doctor walks out, and he's like, oh, yeah, you fractured something, so you're not going to start you're just going to go home and then it was kind of like the disappointment all over again not quite as as much but it was still like oh geez man like what's going on I think as well what added to it is you sacrificed so much for the Giro last year like okay the time away but you know we'd all committed it committed to it because you you were missing Max's first birthday um if all went to plan you were missing my 30th and we all kind of got our heads around that and thought, yeah, let's go for it. A five-year wedding anniversary. five-year well. wedding anniversary as well. So, yeah, I think it all added to this one massive disappointment and it was kind of over a 24-hour yeah. period. And it sinks in even more when you actually leave the team because when you're still at the race, you're still in that sort of race bubble and you're obviously massively disappointed, but I don't know, you're still in that environment. But then I remember frantically looking on Skyscanner for a flight home, found an indirect one to Bristol or somewhere. I remember the team bus was going past the airport. They dropped me off and I was hobbling along, didn't have a crutch or anything. And there was a massive queue at security. And oh, I was just remembered standing in that queue thinking, I've got a bloody fractured pelvis here. And I'm stood like just, oh, it was like a good half an hour. And I was just, it was just a bog standard like easy jet or something. I can't remember what it was exactly. But I think one person did recognize me and had a picture actually. 
And um, which was a bit awkward with the whole COVID thing as well. Like you don't want to get too close, do you? You know, it was a weird thing as well because fortunately with, with the team, we've been lucky enough. We had a couple of private flights and then it was like a double whammy then. You know, you've crashed out of a massive race, your target, and then you're on a commercial airline on your feet or on one foot, really, trying not to stand Did on the other. you have speedy boarding at least? I don't even think I had speedy oh, boarding, no. but I got through and had a, um, like the delicacy down there is like this cannoli like it's like a cheese filled pastry thing i had two of them and two beers waiting for my flight and that certainly helped and i think it's easier to take if it's maybe your you know mistake but i mean the two giro crashes have been such freak crashes that you just think of the whole peloton of course why did it have to be be you the injury was definitely one of the tougher ones to come back from but at the same time still psychologically that was the biggest challenge I think just uh dealing with that and just getting over that and then yeah with the physical stuff like it's obviously hurts yeah Max agrees Max yeah good point um <laughs> we're joined we're joined by Max hey Max look at the state of you <laughs> yeah we just got a little visitor he's just woke up from his lunch nap so um didn't sleep for very long no Max, you're looking very awake. Look at the state of you. <laughs> I thought my head looked big on screen. Say, so, hello, interim oh, chairman. Oh my. <laughs> How are you still chairman? But yeah, I think it was easier when you kind of at the start of your career because you're like, oh, well, you know, these things happen. It's racing. And you go again next time. And then it happens again the next time. And then again. And then again. Um, and you just think, surely. And I think a bit that really winds us up is people being like, oh, of course, it's going on your crush. So that's kind of, that's really irritating, actually. And I know people think they're being funny. And yes, yeah, you can, you know, we can laugh along with it. But then it gets to the point where you're just like, he's actually crashing. <laughs> it's not just uh, he's a person who's crashing and hurting himself. So that that does get a bit. Well, it does get a bit wearing, doesn't it? That's the one thing I'm happy that, you know, cycling is in a sport like rugby or football in the UK or Wales because wow, just going out there playing for Wales and, and you just get some guy in a pub that just, just sits down like with big beer belly telling you how you should play. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we don't we don't really have that in, in our sport. Although someone in the park, <laughs> we went to the park maybe a week, 10 days after I crashed with Max and some guy was walking past he was like oh get on how are you doing bert it's like all right yeah yeah getting better thanks like, you know what your problem is you need to crash less <laughs> i was like oh that's what it is <laughs> never thought of that cheers mate yeah right so so that's some of Geraint's crashes where it's ended his participation in a race there's quite a famous one from the 2015 tour which looked when you were watching on tv like an absolute shocker. So he's going around on a descent, goes around a corner, and his wheel gets touched by, I think it's Warren Bargill, isn't it? And there's nowhere to go, and Geraint rides straight into a telegraph pole, hits his head, and then just disappears down a ravine. How was that one? Yeah, I, uh, and I was, typically, I was watching that day, because um, I used to, S4C, the Welsh broadcasting channel, they, they show the Tour de France, so um, I was just in the studio with them watching it, all of a sudden, we just—it just went silent because he—he he, like he just disappeared off the side of a of a mountain. So I was in the studio with three three men, and they all looked at me, and I was just so st- I didn't turn the rec- like the recording button off my microphone, so I just started crying, and I had these three three men trying to comfort me, but also still commentate. And trying to tell me to turn my microphone off at the same time. <laughs> and then that was the only time I've ever had a call from the team. That threw me, actually. Like, the team never called me. You just kind of find out, like everyone else does, really, about the crashes. That was a, a big worry, because I thought, why why is she calling me? This can't be good. And she's like, I've just, just wanted to let you know, I've spoken to the team car, and he's fine. So I was thinking, oh, right, okay. So I actually knew he was fine, before anybody else did because I don't think they showed him again for quite a while on TV but because I'd not been in the room and not watched on telly I didn't know that other people didn't know he was okay but everyone else I think was they everyone else were really really worried understandably so but yeah I think since that that's probably been that was the main kind of 
thing that happened that kind of stopped me watching because I just thought I'm not sure I can I can deal with with this yeah because yeah you just don't just don't know what happened yeah and then you know he, he appeared about with his what lot minus his sunglasses which I think was the main kind of issue for him um, and I don't even think he lost much time that day either so I mean it's a good a good story now but at the time it was yeah it was awful I just think I can still still remember seeing that I'm just vanishing off the off the side of a mountain that is an unbelievable thing for someone to have to see their partner too isn't it yeah I think obviously like earlier on in my career I kind of crashed a lot more which was a bit more sort of my fault sort of where I was putting myself really right in the eye of the storm so to speak you know right in the dangerous bit so I was like oh, I need to save energy I, I need to be out the wind etc so I was kind of always in the dangerous part and obviously 50% of the time probably came off worse but like later on it's just been like sort of that bad luck almost and uh you kind of accept it you know when especially once you've been doing it since you've been like 12 you kind of accept that crashes happen and you're always trying to put yourself in the best position but even when you do that you know things just go wrong it's the what ifs that are the killer isn't it in those situations so in that giro crash people listen to this might have seen the footage that did the rounds on twitter so you're going super fast for the, the neutralised section you're usually just rolling out of a town, but you're, you're rattling along because it's a downhill section. And then there's a cobbled section, which I guess is why the bead on the water bottle has jumped out of someone's cage. And then you seem to be, Garrett, on the, on the far right-hand side. So, sorry, if I were you afterwards, I'd been thinking through all these things in my head like, why, is, why are they doing 35 in a, in a neutralised zone? And why is there cobbles? And why is Geraint on the right-hand side? Because if he's been like even two metres further in or a metre further on, he's OK. And that's the thing. I think it didn't it, like, dodge a few of the wheels as well, this bottle? Yeah, it was in the middle of the peloton, the middle of the group where the, the bottle, like, bounced out of the cage and it just straight through, the, straight through the, the group. Nobody touched it. And then, yeah, straight into my back wheel. But. Do you know whose bottle it was? It was Bahrain bottle. I was with Wout Powell's today, actually, who rides for Bahrain, an ex-teammate of mine. He was joking about it, and we were just like talk, chatting, load of rubbish, really. And uh, I ended up just grabbing his bottle and just launching it down the road. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't too happy. He couldn't be bothered going to get it either. So uh, he did the rest of the ride without a bottle, but it made me feel a bit happier. Well, so as um, as interim chairman, I can hear the junior section is starting to misbehave. So if you if you want to take care of the junior section, we'll catch up with you another time. Thanks for joining us on your. On your own husband's podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to. What is my What is my title? That's true. In charge of the juniors, keeping them happy. I think. Yeah. Head of the junior I, section. I, I, I don't accept. <laughs> 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 I am um, handed in my resignation effective immediately. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> is that time again? Time to catch up on your Zwift journey, Tom. Week four now. How's it going? How are you feeling? Any fitter? Look at the evidence in front of you. Can't you see it? Don't I look leaner? Faster? Uh, Bit more muscled in the thigh? I can't see your thigh, but yeah, your, your, your chin bone's looking good. Cheekbones. My chin bone. Cheekbone. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking chiselled, mate. Thank you. Well, I'll tell you what I've tried this week, because you know I like my mountain bike and like getting out in the peaks or North Wales or the Lake District. I've got involved with a training programme called Dirt Destroyer. So this is quite specific to mountain biking. I know, I know what you're thinking. Filthy. <laughs> so this is quite specific to mountain biking. So there's quite a lot of, of grinding away in a low gear, like when you're mountain biking, you run out of gears and you've got to do all your power seated because if you stand up, your back wheel starts slipping. So it's quite cool. And the thing that freaked me out this time was that, because I've got used to adjusting my gears to the way the gradient changes on Zwift. But this one, the whole point is that it does it for you. So there's points where it's going to drop my rpm down to about 60 65 and then it's getting really stiff and i'm grinding away so i enjoyed it and i was on there like before for longer than i thought this seems to be the thing fair play that 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 sounded pretty dodgy talk that though there was a lot of grinding a lot of being <laughs> stiff a lot of banging away but it sounds good mate it sounds good <laughs> that's a different online app g <laughs> don't forget you can try zwift too just go to zwift.com to start your free trial and then you can join us on our weekly GTCC group rides every Wednesday at 6pm. They're quite relaxed, very sociable, very fun. We have a chat. Everyone's invited. Right, so Tom, we've done me 
and all my crashes and the pros and, and whatever. But what about you then? You you ride a bit. Have you had any crashes? I've, I mean, everyone who rides a bike has crashes. The good thing about me going at least half as fast as you is that the crashes I do have aren't as bad. <laughs> so you don't have much road rash then? Not really. I've I've had a few from, you know, when you're on a mountain bike and you just you, you don't land a jump properly and then you think, one minute you're in the air and you're thinking, this is amazing. And the next minute you're just sort of rolling off the side of a tree. Those are never great. Yeah, you'd do some damage in them, though, wouldn't you? Like, at least on the road, you'd get a bit of road rash and you might, you know, get a deep bruise. But, oh, going into a tree and on a mountain bike, you can do some real damage doing that. Yeah, because you talk about road rash. I've had bark rash. <laughs> I've kind of had bark rash on the track. Um, well, it's wood, yeah. isn't it? Splinters. Polished but, yeah. bark. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, the thing that horrifies me when you told me about your crashes... Like the worst I've really had, I've had a few cuts and some bruises. I've never broke anything really. But it's the stories of when you've had bad road rash and you've basically made a massive mess of your backside or your thigh. And then you don't just do what I would do, which is complain about it all day and lie on the sofa. You have to go in the shower and seemingly make it worse. Yeah, so you get these like weird brushes that the doc gives you basically. And it's really like pointy and you just got to scrub oh. it and get the, the dirt out because obviously the last thing you want is it have a bit of dirt in there it's a heel over and then it's even worse then because you've got to have an operation to clean it out so you need to make sure it's clean so you're in there and it's like i don't know you know those scourers that you use when you're washing up you know your pots it's a similar sort of thing really and then there's a bit of iodine in there as well and it's really not good but to be honest the day you crash the day you're on the bus you kind of you know you still got that adrenaline from the race the worst is the next day when you go home and then you get in the shower again you don't have to scrub it, but it's just like it gets wet. And, you know, now these days, actually, you can get some that just stay on for five days, which are a, a blessing. But when you have to change your bandages yourself, like the next day when you're home and oh, on your own, it's, that's, a, that's a horrible feeling. I think the worst I ever had was when I was an amateur on the under 23 Academy British Cycling, actually crashing a team time trial. A bit of miscommunication, basically. Cav swung right and I was sat on the right-hand side of him. So I was overlapping the wheel. So as soon as he swung over, he just wiped my front wheel out. And I just went sliding along the road. We must have been doing close to 60k an hour. Like we were flying along. And I basically, from below my knee all the way down to my ankle, really, with the whole skin was just taken off. And uh, oh, for a, a good 10 days after that, I was properly suffering with that. It's the idea of being in the shower and then scrubbing away and then looking down and just seeing like the shower tray being full of blood. Yeah, and then some of the boys, you know, they, they'd be doing it. They'd come out on the docks like, ah, that, that's how you haven't done anything there, mate. Get back in the shower. <laughs> and then you kind of feel sorry for them, but then you also just rip into them, you know. It's it's just what you do, isn't it? Like, you're, you're expected to be pretty stoic as a pro rider, I always think. Like, you're not meant to complain. Have you had any teammates, or are there stories about riders who have, instead of just soaking it all up and trying to, you know, stiff up a lip it, have just whinged? Oh. and complained about the smallest possible injury, like a flesh wound. 100%. Like, well, when he said flesh then, it reminds me of Fletcher. He was a Spanish guy. And um, to be fair, he did have a bad crash. Basically, he was in the tour 2011, maybe. And it was one of the judges' car, commissaires, we call them. And they were in this big, bright red car. He was in the breakaway with one other guy. And this car, I think it had VIPs in, and they wanted to get past for, I don't know, take some photos and have some champagne, whatever they do. And they squeezed past and just clipped both the riders and they went off. They went into the barbed wire fence and oh, yeah. it was it was horrendous. And um, But yeah, Fletcher, he moaned about like, okay, you hurt yourself and like everyone feels sorry for you. But you know what it's like? After a couple of days, you're like, mate, quit your moaning now. Get over it, you know, just, just crack on. And for the rest of the tour, he was getting the doctor put these bandages on him every day. And towards the end, we were like, Fletcher, let's just have a look at this cut then. Let's see how bad it is. <laughs> and it basically healed over by then. We were like, come on. What? <laughs> so that's us pros. Let's get back to the GTCC members and hear about some of their near misses. Tom, there's some right beauties in here. My favourite one actually is from Brett Carter. Brett says, I had to bunny hop over a tiger snake once at about 45 kilometres an hour. That was interesting. Also, my elbow was hit by a driver's side mirror I had a chicken pass between the front and back wheel that almost made me crash. I'm not sure I ever want to go on a ride with Brett. Yeah. What's a tiger snake then? I'm guessing that's quite a dangerous snake. It doesn't sound great, does it? It doesn't, no. 
here's one from Sean. <laughs> Sean says, I got knocked off once by a pigeon that had been hit by a car. As I saw it myself out and looked up, it flew off. But one of its wings fell off and landed next to me. What? <laughs> Has oh. it flown off with one wing? Well, but I'm surprised we didn't have anyone saying they just fell over trying to unclip a traffic lights because that's uh, ah everyone's that got to do me, that. Actually. So the first one of the first times I was out clipped in, and I did what everyone does. I'd sort of the traffic lights changed suddenly. I pulled the brakes and couldn't get my right foot out, and I just started falling to my right. And there's a, a people carrier alongside me, so I've gone to put my hand on like the the passenger side window to prop myself up. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was a summer's day, so the window was down. <laughs> so I just disappeared through the window. And uh, then I'm sort of lying with my shoulder on this person's seat. Just look up and went, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one from Dan, Dan M. Dan says, London to Paris 2018. Stop for a drinks break at a little art gallery. Four of us resumed, immediately up a steep, blind bend. Moments before, a car haired around it, and I shouted that as we're in France... We should probably ride on the right-hand side of the road. It just missed us all. Whoa. That's never good. I had a bit of... Actually, today I had an EMS. Yeah, so some bloody delivery, you know, those DPD drivers. He'd parked on my side of the road, so he was facing me, so he's on the wrong side of the road. So there's a car behind me, so I'm pulling out, go around him. I'm quite close to him because I'm in the middle of the road now. So next thing you know, the back door swings open. I ride straight into the back door. I didn't crash, but, like, I was like, Wow bang into like you know shoulder hand whatever head and the door swung around and hit him and he started having to go at me what because i hit the door into him i was like i said very politely well you shouldn't be opening your door like that mate in french of course oh yeah in fluent french and very polite <laughs> i love delivery man <laughs> here's one from matthew drayton he says my seven-year-old did a peta sagan last week and cut across another rider both sprinting full tilt at Mandy Track. Oh, you're old stomping ground. Lots of tears and grazed knees, but they both got back on. That's what we like to hear, isn't it? You'd crash, jump back on. Yeah, I, I got um, taken away in a hospital from Mandy, actually, when I was a kid. They put me in a neck brace and everything, yeah. Whoa, what happened? Uh, <laughs> I must have been 12 or something, and there was a girl, maybe eight, and she literally just got blown off her bike. The wind, a gust, just took her. She blew <laughs> off in front of me. I just, yeah, went over the top of her, crashed. And then got up, I was fine, started riding around, and I stopped, I was like, oh, yeah, I got a bit of a sore neck or sore head, I don't know what it was now. Then obviously they were like all like, you know, oh my God, just stay here, lie down, called an ambulance, put a neck brace on me. This poor girl that got blown off is like crying, thinking she's killed me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, go to hospital was a fine, and yeah, nothing wrong with me, but um, that was probably my first trip to hospital, actually. Um, let's finish off with a nice one here from Mike Nugent. So Mike says... Cycling into work in central London in a bus lane. I had my baggy shorts on because I was in a pre-lycra stage. There's an open back bus, rather old, goes past me, snags my shorts by the tag. It nearly pulls me off, but luckily my shorts ripped. I arrived in work with one leg of my shorts missing, but I did have lycra shorts underneath, so my bits weren't on show. <laughs> Nothing worse than your bits on show. <laughs> right, to help our listeners out, G... What's the best way of telling your story of a crash when you meet up with your mates later? Well, when you're telling your mates, I think you just need to egg it a bit. You know, you need to build the tension. If you're going 20k an hour, make it 40. Yeah. You know, just, you know, especially if you've got a few abrasions, don't show them everything. You know, do a Fletcher, even if they're nothing, just put a big plaster over them. It might, you know, <laughs> get a bit more sympathy. You can also hint at some internal trauma that they can't. Uh, they can't check up on can't you like you know when you say yeah i've done i've got some real deep interior bruising here and there's no <laughs> way of co corroborating it whatsoever okay it's time for any other business so headlines on this there's no new chairperson yet i'm still the interim so i'll host it again we will get that sorted um item number one as usual is all about club positions now i don't know if you've seen this g but we had a a really nice application this week for the club mascot this was from helen standen uh, the mascot that helen has created is a lovely little white bear called ted he's got a sensational blue knitted jersey with our club logo on what do you think yeah i did see that actually and it was quality to be fair you know quick turnaround seeing this well yeah the club's only just got going so um 
nailed the glasses, got to say. Well, all of it, really. It's a uh, oh, fair play, good knitter, old Helen. Well, no, she might not be old, but old as in O-L. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, if you look at our social media, you can see that Helen is a prolific knitter of sweaters for bears. So listen, we are delighted to have Ted as our first official mascot. But if you've got other ideas, keep them coming. Item number two for today is probably the most important thing that we'll discuss all episode. Gee, this is our club kit. Yeah, I've seen loads of members and people talking about this. Um, I even saw one guy, Pete, I think, asking about free kit. Cheeky from Pete. Yeah, nothing good in life is ever free, is it? Or easy to get, you know? No. I'm not saying it's going to be extortionate, but it's going to cost a bit to make it, but... I think I'm sure we could do something nice though, eh? Yeah, we'll do something special, won't we? So for all those asking, the jersey design is in hand. We've actually got Paul Smith on that one, which is fantastic. But what about a club T-shirt, G? I'm sort of thinking about the socials we'll eventually have or when you want to just sort of wear something around the house. You know, we could even call it training wear. You know, like football clubs do it and cycling teams do it. You know, just training wear, which basically means sitting (laughs) around on your backside in the house wear. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah, you can... Well, when people are allowed out eventually, they can wear it out and about, or you can have it as your sort of your rag to clean stuff with. Depends on your <laughs> how much you like us. But uh, no, yeah, I think that'll be a lot lot simpler and quicker as well, won't it? Yeah, and I reckon that logo that we've got for the pod will work really nicely on a t-shirt as well. So okay, we'll do that. I've also had an idea. Like, you know how you talked about the Sky Ocean Rescue jersey in episode three? Yeah, you know, the one with the whale on the back and how it was drawn on the back of a napkin by. James Murdoch's wife. So here's my thinking. Why don't we get our members to do the same? So members of the GTCC can submit their own hand-drawn designs for the back of our T-shirts. Yeah, I like the sounds of that, Tom. Do they have to do it on the back of a napkin, though? <laughs> no, they can if they want to. <laughs> but, you know, listen, whatever way that you feel the artistic uh, muse coming to you, do it. Just make sure they're hand-sketched. I think that's the idea we want to hang on to here, isn't it? We want them, we want them looking realistic and hand-sketched. Yeah, quality, authentic, and uh, yeah, send us some designs then, guys. Beautiful. Okay, right, final item on any other business for today. We would love it, club members, if you wanted to go and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you've enjoyed the pod so far. Maybe like Bayboy88, who said, great listening for passing time while on the turbo. How about doing some talks on other disciplines like mountain biking or cyclocross? Yes, Bayboy, that is right up my street. We should definitely do a cross special, G, shouldn't we? Maybe we can do this around... I mean, the season is flying by. There's so many great talents in cyclocross, and you've done a little bit of it, and I like to do it at a very, very low level in the northwest. so I would be big time on for some cyclocross and mountain biking chat. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you don't half bang on about cyclocross, do you? So that sounds a good one. To, <laughs> that's a good go-to, so I'll see what we can do there, yeah. Good idea. OK, nice one, G. I'll see you in a week's time. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. <laughs> So that was the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks go to Geraint Thomas, to myself, I suppose, as interim club chairman, to our new club mascot, Ted, to our club secretary, Louise Gwilliam, to our head of music, Emma Hickman, our treasurer, Diane Barker, our honorary president, Mike Carr, and most of all, you, our club members, for being part of this club and for listening. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.